Welcome to the Paranormal News Insider for the week of April 6th, 2021, and this is officially episode number 474, and this is your host, Dr. Brian D. Parsons, and we are live on the Paranormal King radio network at uh, paranormalking.com. It's easy to find us. Uh, You can find the links to chat right there, paranormalking.com. Dot com or go to paranewsinsider.com and find the same links as well. Hang out with us and chat for an hour. So uh, it is a lot of fun. Um, I don't know. Maybe you're maybe you're sitting on the back porch. It's a beautiful day today here in Northeast Ohio, and I uh, couldn't get enough of being outside. Uh, almost 80 degrees. I think it was like 78. It was almost too warm. I was kind of laughing to myself, thinking, "Gosh, it's a, I'm kind of sweating here. It's a little warm." Uh, but I'm not going to complain. It's better than 10 below zero wind chills and, and things like that. But I'll take it either way. Um, so hopefully it's uh, nice in your neck of the woods. And if not, hold tight. Uh, spring may be here. And, you know, here in Ohio, gosh, we just had snow. Uh, what was it? Uh, it's, uh, Friday? Monday? Yeah, Monday. Yesterday we had a little bit of snow. So, eh. It comes and goes. One day it's cold and snowy. The next day it's uh, almost 80. That's Ohio. That's pretty much most of the Midwest here in the United States for you guys. Um, It's good to see that, though. It's good to feel that, though. So last week uh, we had uh, April Fool's Day. Was that Thursday? And then, of course, we had uh, Easter on Sunday. Uh, So uh, quite a week last week. And. I always get excited about April Fool's Day. I think that's really an exciting time of the year. And it's it's funny to me uh, because all year long I read these paranormal stories and I, I'm very critical of what I read and, and of what I hear from people and how excited people get about certain stories or how convinced they are about uh, this sighting or that sighting or that video or that picture. And, and I'm very critical of the news. And a lot of people are generally just guided by emotion when they read news. They either um, feel strongly for it or strongly against it. Sometimes they they uh, want to believe things and or not believe things, but uh, you know it's it's only when it's it's something that hits their belief system or their uh, opinion system. Is there such thing as an opinion system? I don't know. We just made that up. Um, but I'm, you know, I'm critical all year long of all these stories that I read. And then you hit April Fool's Day, and everybody's critical all of a sudden of everything they read because they're not sure. It is April 1st, and everything that comes out could be some sort of a joke. And uh, I, to me, I think it's funny because, you know, like I said, I'm critical all the time, and, and all of a sudden everybody else turns critical one day of the year. Now, if we were all critical – all year round about these types of stories, uh, anything really, especially political stories. Um, you know, we might get to the bottom of things a lot quicker on everything. Uh, so that being said, uh, generally with uh, April Fool's Day pranks, and you know, it's a lot of products and things like that. Uh, most likely, but sometimes there's uh, a little bit of a paranormal connection. Uh, although we didn't have that last year, you know, like I said uh, last week, last year April Fool's Day uh, was uh, pretty much stated it was canceled. They actually used that term that it was canceled, just about like everything else last year. Um, you know, at that time of the year, it was a pretty serious thing that was going on with the global pandemic. Everyone was really worried. Everyone was scared to go outside. And uh, we finally realized it finally sank in that this is something that's going to affect us for a little while. You know, a lot of us thought, eh, June, we'll be good. We'll be back out. Everything will be normal. And, uh, you know, that wasn't the case. We talked about it here on the show. Uh, all these events, paranormal events getting canceled. 
and reschedule for the, the summer or fall. And I said, yeah, you might not want to put your money down. And, you know, out of, out of fear and concern for your health, you know, people were still debating last year at this time about, oh, it's just a flu. Yeah. Cause yeah, cause a flu gives you long lasting effects on your lungs that you can't even walk up a flight of stairs for quite a while. Okay, sure. Um, you know, we, we obviously know now it, things are a little bit more dangerous than they were. And unfortunately, eh, we kind of didn't do the right thing, I think, as a planet. And uh, we kind of messed this thing up a little bit. And, yeah, you know, we're all pretty scared at that point last year. I'd say the beginning of April. So, yeah, it was canceled pretty much. I don't think really anybody did much of anything with April Fool's Day as, as far as the um, general, you know, it's usually, like I said, it's usually these manufacturers, these companies, these businesses, they, you know, they were struggling to uh, figure out ways to uh, make money other ways. And they didn't want to spend money on fruitless things like that. And uh, certainly wasn't, you know, time for pranks. And, but I figured this year, even though we're you know, we're still kind of coming out of things and, you know, some places are struggling a little bit more than others. And some places uh, they, they don't really care, pretty much burning their masks out of their front yard at this point. Uh, but others are, are still, you know, tentative and, and being careful and uh, not wanting to let things out of out of control. So we're, you know, and people are getting tired of it. They want out. They want to return to normal. I get that. Um I've unfortunately I've been working nonstop since last year anyway, so I haven't really even been able to take normal time off that I would normally get because of all this stuff. And my business has been uh, reaping the benefits. Unfortunately, you know I'm one of those uh, one of those heroes that have to go out there and work every day. But uh, while other people come in and put me at risk, but that's okay. Um, but, you know, like I said, I figured the the guard would be a little bit more down and people want to have a little bit of fun this year. So I kind of expected to see a little bit more on the prank side than what we normally see or what we saw last year. And, you know, April Fool's Day has seemed like it's gotten pretty lame the last few years, but especially last year, pretty much shut down. And you, you, you have to look way back to, uh, what was it, 1989? I believe it was when Richard Branson, who uh, the owner of Virgin, he flew a UFO over London. Well, it was really a hot air balloon that looked like a UFO. Uh, freaked out a lot of people. The cops got involved. He landed. The, the police uh, drew their guns and came after him. Uh, it was actually a pretty funny moment, but it was people were pretty flipped out about it. Now, that's the kind of that's the kind of prank I want to see. I want to see more stuff like that. And uh, we don't really see that kind of stuff anymore. It's 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 more lame stuff. Like again, these companies. Um, one that came to mind I saw quite a few times: uh, Porsche. You know, those expensive cars. Some people call them a Porsche. Well, they call them Porsche. I don't care. Uh, they introduced its new patina paint, which makes the car look like it has rust. And their whole thing with that was to give the owner an exclusive look to their sports car. And I didn't know that. I, I kind of learned a little bit about Porsche with that little advertisement. They have over 100, I think it's 105 colors for their cars. That's pretty cool. I didn't know that. And now I guess you can get rust as one of those colors. Interesting. Not my kind of car. They look cool. They sound neat. Eh, you can keep it. Not my kind of thing. Uh, fluid master. So anyone who's ever done uh, amateur plumbing uh, is probably fully aware of Fluid Master and who they are, their company, uh, building uh, plumbing products, things like that. Well, uh, they're a little late to the party. I don't know why they're doing this now, but they offered an alternative to toilet paper this year with a product they call their Emergency Wiping Rock. I was trying to figure out if that was supposed to be funny or not, I just wasn't sure. And of course, it's available in smooth or coarse grit levels. 
cute. I don't think it was funny. I don't think it was a prank. I don't think anybody really believed that. It was more just kind of, I think, making fun of the fact that toilet paper levels last year were pretty low. People were pretty much fighting in the aisles of every uh, store in the country, uh, buying a garage full of toilet paper for whatever reason. Yeah. Um, let's see what else was going on. Jack Links. They had their jerky cologne. I I was trying to buy that. I really think that would be kind of cool. Personally, thought it was kind of a neat product. Uh, Lego introduced their smart bricks. That uh, when you walk through um, a pile of Legos, they just move out of your way as you walk toward them. I don't know how great would that be? But how would you build anything with that? Wouldn't it sense your hands coming toward them and they would move out of your reach? That's kind of what I first thought. Thought, what a dumb product. Cute stuff. Um, let's see. Velveeta. Known for making cheese. They announced skincare products. And the first thing I thought of was, geez, how cheesy is that? Nothing? Okay, that's fine. Uh, yeah, Velveeta. Skincare products. Uh, Peeps. I mean, it's after Easter. Uh, if, I mean, my gosh. I can't believe how many varieties of peeps there are uh, they had fruit punch they had like green apple um there was one that was like hot sauce or something like that they just blueberry grape and uh just every kind of weird flavor so this one wasn't a a stretch when i heard that they announced uh, a green giant cauliflower flavor I thought, why not? They've got every other kind of flavor out there. Yeah, I need a drum roll. I need a drummer. I used to have Batman show up in the studio. Maybe he could show up in the corner and... Nope, I don't see him. Uh, he could play the drums for me. Um, and then it gets more and more lame. Bud Light Seltzer introduced a pizza variety pack. Again, that's kind of interesting. You know, those people that... I mean, not me. I, I don't drink... Uh, beer or anything with with pizza, but some people like a nice cold alcoholic beverage with their pizza. So I, I think that's actually a, a decent idea to come with a a pizza variety pack, like pepperoni and supreme. I don't know if they had a pineapple one, or is that sacrilege? I don't know. I I, I don't really care. You could do what you, you could put whatever you want on the pizza for all I care. But uh, I don't know. I think they were testing the waters with that, just seeing how people would react. You might actually make that. But uh, those kind of items, like those last few, I, to me it's a turnoff to hear those kind of stories because it's really just a subtle way to advertise for an existing product. I mean, Bud Light Seltzer, they're competing with so many other companies. So if they can get something in the news to, to get some sort of zany product idea, they're really just advertising for what they already have. Let's, let's just cut through that. Yeah, exactly. I don't have a budget for sound effects. You're exactly right. Um, I mean, we kind of get a little closer to paranormal stuff with the uh, Canadian Space Agency. So they showed a picture taken by NASA's Perseverance rover, and they uh, superimposed a giant pile of socks. And they stated that they had discovered where all those single socks have gone that were lost in dryers on Earth. Oh! My side was splitting. It was so hilarious. I've got a bruise on my knee from slapping it. Not really. I didn't think it was that funny. Eh, I thought it was cute. I didn't think it was funny. Uh, good try, though. Good try. And it seems that uh, if you've paid attention over the years to April Fool's Day pranks, Bigfoot has become a, a pretty big part of that tradition and 2021 saw him come back. Uh, I mean, why not? Bigfoot is a, uh, a trademark-free entity. Nobody owns that. Nobody's copyrighted Bigfoot, trademarked it, nothing. If you did, if you do, if you're smart, do it. Good luck uh, winning that in court. But you'd make a million a day. Um, but yeah, Bigfoot. Uh, Zion National Park included uh, 
it's kind of a silly picture of Bigfoot uh, stating that the creature ascended Watchman Trail. And it was kind of awkward to read it because they kept – not that I care. I don't care. It's just awkward. They kept pushing that it was a she. They used the word she like eight times in a couple of sentences. It was just kind of weird. Uh, Whiskey Town National Recreation Area in California posted a close-up uh, picture of what it said was Bigfoot. It's pretty cool. And this one actually fooled some people. They were um, sharing this on social media saying it was real, which is cool. When when somebody can fool people like that, I, I like it. I think it's funny. Uh, social media post stated that Bigfoot migrated to the area due to climate change. Of course, we've got to throw politics in there. Can't just let it be. Uh, I read that quite a bit, actually. There was a few, I think even the Zion National Park one said something about climate change. I don't know why. We, we can't just say Bigfoot was there. There's got to be something political attached to it, but that's okay. That's good to see uh, cryptids mentioned at all in these uh, zany posts. I know locally we had uh, um, a city pretty close to us that announced the name change. They were changing it back to uh, a name that they've had like 100 years ago or something. And I, I was like, okay, who cares? And everyone uh, in that city was throwing a fit. Of course, it was April 1st. What do you think? What do you think it was about? Anyway, April 1st, April Fool's in the books again. was kind of a letdown. But at least we had something to talk about this year versus last year. Um, what else do we have in cryptids? Well... If you've listened to the show off and on or at all, uh, I know it's it's uh, you know it's hard to keep listeners for too long. I've had a lot of people come and go over the years, and that's okay. People grow, uh, people move on, they listen to other shows. That's all right. I'm not I'm not going to get mad at you for that. Uh, but two years ago, I kind of got caught up in the whole alligator frenzy that was going on in the United States. Um, especially two years ago, it really peaked out. It's been going on for quite a while. So there was a, a big spike in uh, reported sightings in the northeast of the United States of, of alligators in places, obviously, they don't live. And again, there's been uh, sightings for many years in locations where they're not supposed to exist. And obviously, every single one of these sightings, it's not like they just crawled hundreds of miles to be somewhere that they're not, that it just didn't take flight and uh, fly away. Uh, these were pretty much 100% escaped or dumped exotic pets, and most of these stories are outlining that. But it's interesting just how many of these show up. And I've had quite a few people email me and tell me their stories of, of alligators that they've seen. And a good friend of mine a few years ago telling me about uh, one he saw when he was kayaking in a uh, reservoir that I've kayaked in here in Ohio. It's just, it's just kind of crazy. You never know where you're going to see something like this. And again, it's because people buy these things pretty much illegally at this point, and they grow too big, and they dump them because they don't know what else to do. So in 2019, there was a rash of sightings of live alligators in the Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania area. And I believe it was uh, just shy of a dozen. I think it was 11 overall sightings in the state that year. That's a lot. So 11 different sightings of alligators of varying sizes. Generally, they're right around, it seems like every story, they're three and a half feet. Just seems like it hits that point. And that's when people are like, you know what? Yeah, I don't think I can handle this thing anymore. It eats too much meat, and it comes after me, and I'm not so sure. Not sure, sure I can, uh, you know, walk away with uh, all my limbs intact at that point when they hit that that three and a half feet. Now they're not deadly to humans, pretty much until they're about five feet long. Uh, but a uh, foot and a half, I don't want to mess with that either way. They're pretty scary. They're unpredictable. They seem really tame. And lucid, 
they just kind of hang out there. And then sometimes they kind of tell that they're getting wound up. Uh, but man, they can just all of a sudden, just out of nowhere, just, just snap at you and come in and come running. They're fast. They get up on them legs and start running. Forget it. Ain't no zigzagging. That's a, it's not true. Uh, cause you'll zig and zag and that thing will keep running straight and he'll catch you or she'll catch you, I suppose. And, uh, well, there goes your leg. Especially if you're wearing Crocs. Um, so on March 27th of this year, Todd Brubaker was walking his Yorkie poo at uh, Kiwanis Lake in York, Pennsylvania. Never got the name of the dog. Just know it was a Yorkie poo. Wish I knew what the name of the dog was. Uh, so York, Pennsylvania is in the southeastern Pennsylvania area. And it's about 50 miles north of Baltimore, Maryland. So it's on the coast. It's near the ocean, which is uh, yeah, pretty much where alligators do live. They near live near uh, more temperate, swampy areas that are, you know, near the ocean or generally near the Gulf of Mexico. Uh, so you go from Texas all the way around, uh, you know, Mississippi. When I miss somewhere, did I miss a state? Well, Oklahoma's there, but they're not really in the Gulf. But um, Arkansas, Mississippi, uh, Louisiana, gosh, I'm, I'm Alabama. Yeah, okay, good. Florida, obviously, Florida is a major one, and they do stretch north. Uh, Georgia, even parts of North Carolina, they live in, and uh, did a, a story on this in, in Tennessee. They're actually invading parts of Tennessee now. So they are moving north and northeast, but uh, yeah, you're not going to see them in southeastern Pennsylvania on their own. Uh, so a passerby told him that there was an alligator in the lake, and he thought to himself, well, this guy's a complete kook, and continued walking his Yorkie poo at Kiwanis Lake, and uh, then he was stunned. He couldn't believe what he saw. He saw a three-foot alligator sitting in the cold, shallow water of the lake. Uh, he took a short video of the creature to prove to the world that it was real because he himself was stunned beyond belief. I uh, can't use the language that he used here on this family-friendly show, uh, but he was stunned to say the least. Uh, the It was kind of sad, though, because this is cold water, and alligators don't do very well in cold water. They're pretty lethargic. And he, he described it as uh, the alligator was just kind of sitting there, just kind of floating in the water, wasn't really moving too much. could tell it was alive. Uh, but the ducks were not threatened by it. The ducks were just swimming right by it, like no big deal. Like they knew little gator wasn't going to do anything. Uh, so they weren't uh, really freaked out by it. Usually the ducks will keep their distance. They're pretty smart about that kind of stuff, unless they've not been to Florida. Or, you know, the Gulf Coast, maybe. I don't know. I don't know what they know. Um, but it was pretty lethargic. The water was pretty cold. Uh, but the weird thing about the story, it, it takes a strange turn that I've not been able to sort this out as to what happened. So he called the York Police Department, who showed up. Uh, but I guess he didn't hang around to find out. Probably the Yorkie poo was like, come on, I'm cold. You drag me down to the lake windy i want to go back in and uh watch tv or something i don't know what yorkie poos do uh so uh he he must have not been in the area when the police actually showed up to uh, to find the alligator and some social media reports it's, it's weird because it's split some people swear the alligator was rescued by an animal control officer and according to others Police actually shot the alligator and disposed of it. Uh, so according to Herald Mail Media, they said, quote, the SPCA said it wasn't involved and the city animal control officer handled it. However, the city police said its animal control officer wasn't on duty and not available. And that case was referred to the state game commission. The game commission warden who was on duty that Saturday, said he had heard about it, but was told 
the York City Police handled it. Unquote. Uh, so what's going on? Who handled what? What happened to this poor alligator? Um, a little spooky. So a little uh, controversy here and um, maybe a little cover-up going on to this uh, alligator story. And it's quite possible that uh, when police arrive and they find this alligator, they try to get it. It's moving out of the way. They don't know what to do with it. And it's, you know, it's kind of hard to shoot an alligator when it's in the water like that. So I kind of find that part of it hard to believe. Uh, but, you know, what do you do with a gator like that? Unfortunately, um, sometimes you, you don't have a place to put it. And it's not the first time I've heard of uh, police having to uh, dispatch an alligator or a crocodile, for that matter, here in Ohio. Uh, a couple of years ago, there was a, uh, was it five, five and a half, six feet long crocodile that they had to uh, shoot because they had to, they couldn't do nothing with it. So, yeah, don't dispose of your alligators. So people get them. Uh, you can order this stuff online, believe it or not. You can order, uh, you can order a caiman online. You can order alligators online. Uh, sometimes they get them at trade shows. Uh, they get them out of state because Pennsylvania, uh, especially after 2019, enacted some stricter laws. Here in Ohio, we have some pretty strict laws against owning alligators. But people will go down to Florida and they'll get them. And they'll bring them home. And they end up, they end up in the sewers. No, they don't. They don't end up in. Maybe they do. I don't know. Uh, was it the 70s? They were talking about the the New York City sewers with giant alligators. Uh, but yeah, people throw them in the the reservoirs. They throw them in the lakes and rivers. And yeah, they don't live through the winter. They they can survive for a little while, uh, but they they become lethargic. Their hearts slow down. Their metabolism slows down. Uh, their hearts slow down, and they, they can't defend themselves, nor can they really live too long uh, because they can't eat pretty much at that point. So if it gets colder and colder and stays cold for weeks on end, uh, they're pretty much uh, alligator popsicles at that point. And uh, unfortunately, we've had a few stories talking about alligators that uh, did not survive the winter and uh, so if you have an alligator, I've said this before, you're not sure what to do with it, call your local police department. Don't call 911. Just call the local police department. Call uh, your local game warden or, or somebody and surrender it. Now, most states won't have uh, – they're not going to press charges on you if you come clean and say, hey, I've got this. I don't know what to do with it. Uh, they're not going to charge you for it, which it is expensive sometimes to hold on to these animals or to uh, put them somewhere until they can get uh, transferred somewhere else. But uh, it's far better than getting caught dumping an alligator. Uh, I'm not sure, and I don't think anyone's ever gotten caught. Probably shouldn't say that, but uh, don't try it and don't do it because if somebody gets hurt, that's not funny. Uh, so anyway... Let's see the uh, lighter side of cryptozoology. I was very excited to hear about this story. This is one of those, I don't know, brighter moments of the field. And I got really excited about this and uh, listened to all the stuff and read everything about this. This is pretty neat. Probably one of the coolest cryptid stories I've covered in quite a while. And it's out of, of all places, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And it centers on the Children's Museum of Pittsburgh. So it's a kid's story. And it's a, a cryptid kid's story, which is pretty cool. Uh, it's a new interactive exhibit that's opened called the Critter. I'm sorry, the Cryptid Critter Crawl. That's too much. Cryptid Critter Crawl. Say that 20 times fast. Uh, the Cryptid Critter Crawl, which introduces young children to creatures of folklore and legend. Uh, creatures featured in this. I was really excited to, um, so I found the website that has this, and you can actually follow along with audio that you can you're supposed to listen to when you're there, so you can see these exhibits and you can see signs uh, that talk about these things. And uh, each segment is about it's about three and a half minutes long per segment, and the intro segment I was pretty amazed at what they actually talked about. 
uh, because the stories covering this, they, they mentioned Bigfoot, Loch Ness Monster, and Mothman. Well, okay, that's pretty pretty basic, pretty standard stuff. And that didn't really blow me away. But when I started listening uh, to the audio, the audio was actually really entertaining. And I listened to all of it, all like half hour, 40 minutes of it. It's pretty funny. And granted, it's geared towards kids. Uh, but there's some funny moments in there. It's, it's. Uh, I think, I think most kids would find it interesting. Um, I haven't downloaded. So there's also with that some coloring pages. I haven't downloaded those, but I'm pretty tempted. Uh, but I'd love to put the whole experience together. And granted, I'm not a little kid, but uh, I think kids would really enjoy to see these exhibits and and to to hear the audio and see the things. And again, it's it's not just cryptid; it's also animals or creatures in folklore. So, uh, they do mention unicorns and the kraken. And I was, was kind of bummed out. The only one they really didn't mention uh, was mermaids. But they did mention unicorns and the kraken. Uh, you know, mermaids go way back. Mermaids are pretty much the the first cryptid. Uh, but that's okay. They still did their their research. I was pretty surprised. Uh, they mentioned Yeti, which I guess that's not a huge surprise, but they talked about the Frogman here in Ohio. It was, it was like, okay, it's pretty good. Uh, they mentioned Thunderbirds. Uh, they mentioned Skunk Ape. They mentioned Batsquatch. They also mentioned British Big Cats, which I thought was uh, pretty impressive. Now, if they would have said Alien Big Cats, that would have been really impressive, but I think that might have confused kids. So British Big Cats, that's acceptable. That's a that's an alternative uh, name for that. That's pretty good. Uh, Mongolian Deathworm. The Jersey Devil. And they even said Chupacabra, which I was pretty impressed. They didn't say Chupacabra. Chupacabra. So I was pretty impressed with that. Uh, pretty neat. Uh, they also mentioned the platypus. That was a cryptid until one was caught. And I've talked about that. Uh, if you've ever heard me talk about cryptids out there in in IRL. Is that what kids say now? IRL? Real life? Uh, when I do... Um, gosh, it's been like two years since I've done any kind of presentation. Uh, presentation on cryptids, I generally talk about uh, some that were uh, discovered. You know, everybody talks about the coelacanth, uh, but I talk about uh, animals like the kraken and the, uh, you know, finding the giant octopus and all that stuff. But... Uh, also, the platypus is one that scientists thought it was a joke until they dissected a few of them. They thought it was, um, you know, monkey parts and fish parts sewn together. So they thought it was a. They thought it was a, just kind of pulling a fast one there. Uh, so I was impressed with that one as well. Uh, there is eight interactive exhibits, which include globsters. So we know those as uh, like glob things that wash up on beaches, but they kind of went in a weird direction with that. They described them as space goo, which, you know, they can use their artistic license all they want. That's okay. Uh, they talked about Mothman's chrysalis or chrysalis. Is that reading that? Chrysalis, uh, which is a pretty cool story. Uh, they talked about Nessie's tartan neck cover, which is pretty interesting. Uh, they also have Bigfoot's lost shoe, which is really, that's actually, that was a really good story as well, as explained by Dr. Harry Bottoms. They do a lot of good sound effects, a lot of voices in this, a lot of interesting characters in all of these stories. And again, each one uh, is about um, three and a half minutes long. We talked about jackalopes and... Again, highly impressed that they talked about a local legend called the Squonk. And I've heard of the Squonk because I've done presentations in Pennsylvania. And I've talked about stuff that's uh, a little more well-known in Pennsylvania, like the Tommyknockers and the Squonk. You know, a little bit of uh, kind of native stuff to their uh, culture. So the Squonk supposedly lives in the hemlock forests of northern Pennsylvania. It's said to actually dissolve into a puddle of its own tears. 
if captured. What a creature. Um, so I thought that was really cool. That Obviously, they did some work. They did some research. They, they knew what they were talking about. And I was very happy with that. I thought I think that's really cool to introduce kids to this. And granted, they're pretty animate about this, uh, all this stuff not being real. But they allow kids to still explore these things, which I think is important. I mean, when I was a kid, uh, we were, you know, we didn't really have anything like that to to kind of balance things on to, um, for anybody to tell us, you know, maybe that stuff's not real. All I had was Leonard Nimoy on my, uh, you know, my, uh, gosh, how big was my TV? 19 inch black and white TV. I think we had a color by then, uh, telling me about, uh, the Patterson Gimlin film is Bigfoot real or is it just a myth? I don't know, Leonard. I'm a kid. I, tell me. I, I'm not sure what to believe now. Not great. I'm not sure what to do. I'm going to avoid swamps and, and a forest now until I'm grown up. Thanks a lot. Uh, but now kids are exposed to this stuff and, uh, you know, the, the questions are out there and hopefully they allow the kids to kind of form their own opinions a little bit without just telling them that all this stuff is, is fiction and, and make-believe. Uh, but uh, I think it's pretty cool that they've designed this. And uh, other important things is the exhibit is created to be socially distant. It's actually outside of the, uh, of the, the main area of the uh, Children's Museum of Pittsburgh. So it's kind of like outside, probably in the front area. Uh, it's open 24 hours a day, seven days a week, requires no admission to the Children's Museum of Pittsburgh. So if I wanted to right now, I could hop in my car and drive out there and go check it out. It's just two hours away for me. Uh, unfortunately, it's only going to be open until the end of summer. But if you're interested, uh, you can go to cryptidcrittercrawl.owenlowry.com. Owen Lowery, O-W-E-N-L-O-W-E-R-Y dot com. And you can listen to all the audio. And you can also download the comic book or the uh, uh, comic book, the cart, the uh, coloring pages. That's what I meant to say somewhere in there. Just trying to get the link here so I can throw it in the chat room. Uh, so pretty cool. I think it's one of the coolest stories on cryptozoology. Anything geared towards Young minds, new people getting into these fields, I think is very important for the future of the paranormal. Uh, we've got to do something right. We've got to pass this stuff on uh, because uh, a lot of people in cryptozoology are getting up there in age. Trust me, I get more gray hairs uh, every day. No, no virtual tours. Unfortunately, come on, it's free. I know some of the uh, art museums are, have everything for free online too, but uh, still pretty cool. And they want to still want to attract people to the museum. So got to get kids out there and see the stuff. So you can actually see Bigfoot shoe stuck in a, in a cement block. It's pretty neat. Anyway, let's go to UFO news and we're going to go from Pittsburgh to another big city, the windy city of Chicago. And you might have seen this, well, I don't know if you've seen both, but uh, there's a pair of videos. They're pretty close. It's pretty much the same thing. Uh, a pair of videos taken from Chicago, uh, from a high-rise in Chicago, stirred up a little bit of discussion about UFOs. And just like every other UFO video, purported UFO video, uh, there's generally two sides. There's one side that says, wow, this is genuine stuff. You've actually captured UFOs. This is amazing. This is proof. Anybody who doesn't believe this is crazy. Those are not airplanes. This is genius. Wow, I believe. And of course, you have the other half that says, are you crazy? That's just airplanes. It's explainable stuff. I don't know what's, what you guys are trying to peddle here. Um, so the second video caught the attention of a lot of UFO bloggers. It ended up being carried on the international news. So it got a lot of traction. Uh, made all the UK papers. Of course, it doesn't take much, really, to be honest. Any Anything odd or, or spooky or weird or outlandish, even if it's not true, uh, generally makes those papers. So not really that big of a deal. But the cool thing about this was 
Uh, and probably the, the thing that should have made people realize this it was an actual real event uh, was the fact that the video was over seven and a half minutes long. Uh, generally, we get these fake videos. They're, they're about a minute or less. Shaky, people running, screaming. Uh, the audio might be overdubbed. Uh, but I really don't think that was the case with this one with uh, the family and a little kid talking. So it was, it was kind of interesting, a little bit different than what you're normally used to seeing. So, yeah, seven and a half minutes long, and it showed bright lights out over Lake Michigan, just hanging in the sky. Super scary. Uh, it was stated during the video that the lights could not be airplanes, even though when I was watching this, uh, I was saying, but those are airplanes. And of course they came out, oh, those cannot be airplanes because they're just hanging in the sky. <sighs> so anyway, I mentioned this before, uh, you know, I've seen hundreds and hundreds of UFO videos uh, since I've been doing this stuff, uh, researching things and working with uh, a lot of different groups that disseminate videos and pictures and whatnot. been sent a lot of cases myself, and I've seen quite a few experts uh, around here in Cleveland, the Cleveland area, that uh, claim the same thing happens over Lake Erie. Now, that being said, I've grown up in a small, well, I shouldn't really say small town, but uh, um, about 25, 26 miles on the outskirts of Cleveland, Ohio, to the east. And I grew up at the foot of a, um, a small municipal airport where uh, little Cessnas took off and landed for uh, pretty much most of my childhood until I got a little older and then they started having... Uh, some jet aircraft, small jet aircraft take off and land from there. So I got pretty used to small Cessnas and small aircraft. Uh, you know, I learned about lights. I learned about uh, how they take off and land and, and different things. But I also grew up on the uh, perimeter of the uh, Akron-Canton. I'm sorry, not the Akron-Canton Airport, but the uh, Cleveland Berkeley or not Berkeley Lake Front. Jeez, oh, man. Uh, the... Uh, the big uh, airport here in Cleveland, so the international airport. So pretty much the airliners circle around right where I live, uh, about 30,000, 40,000 feet up. But uh, they do uh, pretty much go around in a circle, and they, they drop down 10,000 feet at a time. And if you're fortunate to be out near Lake Erie in the early evening time when traffic is heavy and they're backed up a little bit, yeah, uh, Cleveland Hopkins International, that's what it's called. Uh, you can actually see the air traffic uh, like piled up in the sky. For They're miles away from, you know, 50 miles out. And they have a few miles in between, you know, just enough time for them, one to land, taxi off the runway, and another one to land behind it. And we also have, um, I used to go to work out uh, in North Olmsted, which is on the other side of the airport from where I live and it goes literally right at, I mean, you're probably a few hundred yards away from where the, the jets actually land. So you can sneak a peek. No, don't recommend if you're driving cause it's pretty crazy driving at that point, but uh, you can actually look and see the jets lined up for about 30 miles in a row. So you see jet after jet, piled up behind each other it looks kind of weird because it looks like they're running on each other's tails but in reality they're miles apart from each other and if they have their landing lights on it's pretty scary looking because they they just look like these ufos hanging in the sky and uh, if you're out by lake Erie, you can see these things miles out there on the lake and if when they bank when they make a turn uh to adjust the lights will flicker and disappear Ooh, it's a ufo no it's just a jet at a distance with those bright landing lights. Uh, sometimes they get yellowish at a distance, especially if you're looking at them out over the lake. And uh, it sits still for minutes at a time. It's like it's not moving at all because they're so far away. And um, a lot of people were commenting on this, that that's what they were. That's what they were seeing. And, of course, you know, Chicago, no, you know, no stranger to this. Um, 
to you know UFO sightings. I've had quite a few in that area uh, at the uh, O'Hare International Airport. That was back in 2006, I think. Right? Yes, 2006. Uh, kind of a weird sighting. Somebody, uh, a supposed employee, saw it. A witness. Uh, a couple of witnesses saw it. Some fake photographs showed up about it. They weren't real. They were just fake pictures. Uh, nothing really ever showed up. But uh, that was a pretty big story back in 2006. And a lot of commenters said that that's what this looks like. Uh, they've seen frequent air traffic lined up over the lake getting ready to land at O'Hare. And uh, also the uh, Midway International Airport, which... Um, uh, it's a UFO of interest, which is uh, one of the one of the greatest greatest UFO uh, researchers out there. Basically, UFO video researchers. Uh, people show these videos, and you know, I think this was legit. They didn't know what they were seeing. They they thought that these were UFOs. They weren't sure what they really were. Uh, at the angle that they were at, they probably did not know these were jets. They did see some jets flying in the foreground. And they were comparing them to these other lights, which uh, look a little different. Landing lights versus seeing the side profile of a jet, different thing. And I'm sure when these jets banked and flew into, uh, it was uh, determined this was Chicago Midway, where these planes were going into, uh, you're not going to see the same thing. So you're not going to put two and two together. So, you know, I think this was a legitimate mistake. This wasn't something they were trying to fool people with. Uh, they probably still, even though the explanations come out, they probably still believe that this is, that these are UFOs, uh, even though UFO of interest uh, basically created a map that showed uh, from the angle of what these this family in Chicago was filming was the air traffic at their vantage point coming toward them uh, before banking into and landing at Chicago Midway International. And... What else do we have here in UFOs? Well, Michio Keiku, currently promoting his new book, which uh, actually debuted today, April 6th. Uh, it's called The God Equation, The Quest for a Theory of Everything. Uh, he's written uh, quite a few interesting books. If you've not read his stuff, uh, they're pretty interesting. Now, he's, he's a, a, an extremely smart dude. He's come up with a lot of interesting uh, things. He's probably one of the smartest people involved in physics right now. Uh, but his books are, are actually pretty easy to read. And uh, it's the same way he talks when he talks to public. He's very easy to understand. He explains things in a very meaningful and simplistic way. He takes very intricate concepts and makes them easy for the average person to understand, which is not an easy thing to do for a lot of scientists and a lot of scientists get a little bit um, uh, discouraged trying to figure out how to explain to the layman uh, how all these intricate things work. But he, he does a fantastic job and I've, I've got quite a few books here on the shelf of his, uh, the future of the mind. I got done reading that. Well, last year, uh, physics of the future, which admittedly I'm only like halfway through, but it's a really good book and the future of humanity, Another great book. A, a lot of that content, uh, they're all similar books. So a lot of that content borders on each other, but uh, uh, really insightful information. He's kind of a futurist as well as a physicist. And I, I think that's where my interest in his work lies is with the, the futurism aspect. Um, but uh, Keiko, if you're not aware, is the co-founder of String Field Theory, which is one of the main branches of String theory, which I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with that. They may not know what that means, but at least you know what that is. Uh, he's also become a scientist, again, who's been able to reach the masses, unlike most scientists. There's not very many of those guys out there or gals out there that can actually reach the general public. And the ones that do uh, become pretty popular pretty quick and end up on all sorts of TV shows. Now, he was recently... Uh, interviewed by The Guardian and was asked a number of questions pertaining to his work as well as topics on his book. Now, all that was well and good. And nobody really, I don't want to say nobody cared about it, but it didn't get a whole lot of attention. Uh, but one question 
really jumped out and actually made a lot of headlines through his interviews. And that question was, quote, you believe that within a century we will make contact with an alien civilization. Are you worried about what they may entail? Unquote. Uh, so his response uh, basically uh, made the headlines. Summarized response, but his uh, complete response was, he says, quote, soon we'll have the Webb telescope up in orbit and we'll have thousands of planets to look at. And that's why I think the chances are quite high that we may make contact with an alien civilization. Uh, there are some colleagues of mine that believe we should reach out to them. I think that's a terrible idea. We all know what happened to Montezuma when he meets Cortez in Mexico so many hundreds of years ago. Now, personally, I think that aliens out there would be friendly, but we can't gamble on it. So I think we will make contact, but we should do it very carefully, unquote. So he kind of dances around the answer. He comes out and says that's a terrible idea, uh, but he seems a little softer on it uh, after kind of after saying that. But uh, we've heard this before. He's not the first one to come out and say it. I, I couldn't tell you how many times I had a story here on the show, uh, the Paranormal News Insider, talking about Stephen Hawking saying the same thing, even though Stephen Hawking ponied up some money to uh, reach out to aliens. But he was uh, one of the people that were warning us it's probably not a good idea to do so. Uh, staying in contact with intelligent life forms uh, might lead to our demise, pretty much. But it's, uh, you know, in reality, it's just one of the many outcomes from a very dismal chance at connecting with an intelligent culture at a point where it can travel or it can meet us and, and understand us, be able to uh, be in the same galaxy as us, let alone the same planet, due to a lot of factors that people don't really even think about. I mean, the chemical composition of the planet, the uh, the type of uh, sun we have, uh, I should say a star we have, you know, the radiation might be too much, uh, the oxygen levels here on this planet or the, the pressure in the, this part of the, the, uh, the galaxy or the universe might be too much or not enough or what. There's so many different things that could, could complicate things. And... You know, when you talk about intelligent life, you know, we sometimes think of like green or, green or gray aliens or uh, maybe even creatures that look like us. But the, f the fact is that they probably won't look like us and they might be uh, intelligent creatures that we might not even be able to understand. Or they don't understand us because we don't speak the same languages. Uh, you know, math, they always say, well, math is a common language. Well, that's what we think. You know, everything is egocentric for us, but we don't realize sometimes that there's a lot of other things that may happen out there. Uh, and there's quite a few books out there that tackle aspects of this debate. And this really isn't about Michio's new book, again, that came out today, The, the God Equation, The Quest for a Theory of Everything. Um, that's a little bit more physics involved. I don't think it really has much to do with alien contact, uh, but that's always a headliner which is uh, what happened here with this one. Uh, so I would say this, this fear of alien contact is universal. I mean, think about it. Uh, it's been long lasting. It's been hundreds of years that we've had this fear about hostile aliens. You don't have to look too far to see this in popular culture. I mean, think about how many movies come out every year that deal with aliens. And most of those movies deal with aliens uh, that generally perceive them uh, as an evasive species of some sort, or the contact between us causes some sort of conflict. I mean, the whole entire uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe is is uh, balanced on that whole concept. And there are many more movies about aliens uh, than pretty much any other science fiction genre that I, I can see. And most of these movies pit humans against aliens in one form or another. So that fear is kind of ingrained in us. It's It's just how we perceive that, you know, I, obviously I think it's, it's uh, because of the fear of the unknown. We don't really know what to expect. We'd like to think we do, but we're probably wrong. 
And hopefully we can find microbial life first and kind of get that out of the way. Uh, we can find life on maybe a, a moon of a planet that we visit that's in our solar system uh, before some uh, alien species comes cruising up in their star cruiser and uh, comes down to our planet and takes over our government, turns them into lizards. But we'll we'll see where that leads us. So that leads me to the book of the week, which we haven't had a book of the week. I should call it the book of the year because I think this is the first book of the week we've had all year long. But it ties in perfectly with this story. And it's a book that I've uh, wanted to do for a while. I mentioned it uh, quite a while ago when I actually got it. I think I got it for Christmas that I mentioned it. Uh, it's called The Contact Paradox. And it's uh, written by Keith Cooper. It came out January 21st of 2020. And this book answers the question, what will happen if humanity makes contact with another civilization on a different planet? Uh, he uses uh, philosophy, psychology, and science to unravel the answer. It's it's a pretty big book. It's uh, I mean, it doesn't look like a big book, but when you when you start reading it, it's I don't want to say it's a tough read, uh, but it just seems like it's it's taken me a long time to get through this thing. Uh, it's three hundred and thirty six pages, including the index in the back. It doesn't just look just looks big. Uh, but it's uh, the topic, the topics in there and the subject matter, uh, it's pretty deep and it makes you think. So sometimes you do, ha you do put the book down and kind of think about things that you just read or try to process what you've read. Uh, because, again, there's a lot of philosophy, psychology and science and storytelling as well. Uh, Cooper's got a lot of uh, examples and uh, stories to tie into his concepts. So it's it's really even though it sometimes it seems like it's veering off topic, it always comes back around and it uh, wraps things up to not a, a nice bow because it, it leaves itself wide open to kind of the what ifs. So if this is a topic that you're, you're interested in kind of thinking about a little deeper about alien contact or what might happen, the contact paradox by Keith Cooper is definitely a book you want to get your hands on. Um, Let's see. Got it on Amazon here. It's, uh, whoa. We're looking at uh, less than 20 bucks. You can get it on Kindle for 10. You get a hardcover for 18 bucks. Not a bad deal. You can get an audio CD. I can't listen to those things. It's just crazy. Uh, 15 bucks. It's a good book. Get the hardcover. That's what I've got. Uh, it's a good read. And again, it'll make you think. It'll make you think twice. It doesn't really go into. Um, kind of the uh, the the uh, the physical aspect. It's more of the philosophical and uh, psychological things that deal with society and culture and and how we are and how we might react to this, uh, let alone alien culture. And you know, begs the question: Are we ready as a society? We're still kind of uh, cavemanish, killing each other, beating each other in the streets. We can't even get along with each other. Are we ready to get along with an alien culture? That's my question. Um, I mean, personally, one of my favorites, uh, another book you might want to look at is Space Science by Professor Antonio Paris. Now, this one does more of the uh, physical and physics type of things and the uh, ability to travel these distances and spacecraft, the probability of alien life forms. And uh, some of the uh, potential issues behind these questions, but it doesn't really answer the question like the contact paradox does. So read up. I know I don't have as much time to read as, as I like to do. I usually read uh, 20 or 30 books a year, but uh, I don't think that's going to happen this year. I don't think it happened last year either. So uh, read up. Now, with that being said, I want to thank everybody for showing up tonight in the chat. Thank everybody also for listening to the show. If you're listening to the show, thank you. I appreciate you. Uh, sincerely, I do. Um, you guys make it all worth it for me to do all this research in between time. I don't have a whole lot of free time. But I love doing this stuff. I love the subject matter. I love researching. I love uh, disseminating this stuff and bringing it to you each and every Tuesday night. And uh, especially thanks to everybody in chat. 
for keeping it real and asking questions and uh, and uh, just keeping yourselves entertained while I try to do the same thing. And with that being said, I will see you next week. But for now, keep your eyes in the skies, your ears in the woods, the hair standing on the back of your neck, and always keep your mind slightly ajar. And above all else, don't stop believing. For the Paranormal News Insider, this is Dr. Brian D. Parsons reporting.